I can, yeah, yeah, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, there's room. You know, some, some churches, you know, you get up, there's a little box and they got a little step and you can't walk around or nothing. So we got space up here. Good morning, Village Church. Uh, it really is a joy and a privilege, a pleasure to be with you this morning to break the bread of life uh, with you. Uh, my brother Alex, um, thank you for the invitation. I don't know how many years we've been talking about trying to me to come visit and and, uh, and preach here, but uh, the Lord finally made it happen. I want to um, share with you from uh, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, particularly verses 20 and 21, and I want to talk to you on this subject, sign, sealed, delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. Now, I'm sure many of you know that wonderful uh, singer, Stevie Wonder. You know the song, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. Well, this is the opposite direction. What I mean by signed, sealed, delivered is I want you to receive this as the word of God to you. Signed, sealed, delivered, your mind. Signed, sealed, delivered, your mind. And here's the point of what I want to say to us this morning in this message is this, that through through faith in Jesus Christ, God speaks his good word over us, forming and empowering us to live for his glory because we belong to him. That through faith in Jesus Christ, God speaks his good word, his benediction, his blessing over us, forming us and empowering us to live for his glory because we are his. If you would turn with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and or if you got a like me, an electronic device, just pour, get to it on your uh on your screen, and I don't know what the custom is here, but would you stand with me uh, as we read God's word? Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start actually in verse uh, 17 and read through verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 13. When you are there, uh, say amen. amen. If you're not there yet, say hold on a second. All right, all right, amen. All right. Is God's word. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we bless your name this morning. We thank you for this, your word. Lord, that is not dead, but that is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. 
that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And our position this morning, Lord, in this place is that we are all naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And that's good, Lord, because you know then precisely what you stand, what we stand in need of this morning. And so would you be pleased, Lord, to take these, my, my weak and unworthy efforts in your word and use them to bless your people? Would you meet us where we are and would you give us what we need? Lord, if it is faith, would you be pleased to give us that gift this morning? If it is encouragement, Lord, because we are discouraged, would you meet us and encourage our souls this morning? Father, if we need to be corrected, would you in your mercy correct us this morning? That we would be people who live not for ourselves, but for the glory of our risen King, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. I am a uh, a sports fan. And very often, as I am driving in my car, I will tune the radio uh, to sports talk radio and and listen in on the conversations that are taking place. And on one uh, occasion, uh, uh, the two hosts were talking about coaching football at the professional level. Uh, at that time, I was listening to this uh, program. It was the off season for the NFL, and uh, as it is with every off-season in the NFL, several teams were looking for a new head coach. They had fired their head coach, and they were in search for who was going to be the next leader of their team. And one of those was a former professional player, and, and so the other host asked him, what would you look for if you were a general manager in a, in a good head coach? And this guy answered, he said, well, if I were a GM and I were hiring a coach, I'd I'd look for a guy who can motivate men. You got to understand, he said, this is different from coaching college ball. You're not coaching 18 and 19 and, and 20 year olds. You're coaching men who are in their 30s and many of them are multimillionaires. So I need a guy, he said, who can motivate men to perform at the professional level. Now that skill, the ability to motivate people to to do something is one that we regularly associate with good leadership in every sphere, in sports, in business, in politics, in the military, and even in the church from sometimes. Frankly, pastors can become popular and even attain celebrity status based on their ability as a motivator. And here's what I find interesting as we consider the text that we read this morning. This text comes from the end of the letter to the Hebrews and the subject of leadership dominates the last words that their pastor wants to leave with them. The focus of the message this morning is on verses 20 and 21, but I read from verse 17 to 21 to emphasize this point. 
The pastor tells the congregation in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he tells them why. He says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. In other words, obey them because they are caring for their for your souls. This is their charge. And as he focuses in on the leadership within the church and the church's response to her leaders, he says nothing about them as dynamic preachers and teachers. No, the focus here is on the care of the flock, on their role as as shepherds. I, I love what he does first. He reminds them that they receive care from their leaders. And then he calls their attention to the fact that our Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And that through him, God works in us what is pleasing in his sight. The former NFL player said that teams need to look for their coaches who can motivate men to perform at the professional level. And here's the deal. As human beings, we are called to live. We're called to perform in a certain way and for a certain purpose. And God, who knows that we can't perform the way that we ought, if left to ourselves, provides for us a great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this great shepherd doesn't just lead us by motivating us to try harder and harder and do better and better. He is the source through whom we are given every good thing that we need to live the life of faith that he calls us to. In Jesus Christ, we are signed, sealed, and delivered into a life of faith for the glory of God. I have three things I want to share with you from these verses this morning. Three P's. Uh, I want to talk about peace, promise, and purpose. A peace, promise, and purpose. Uh, the pastor, as I as I call him, as he comes to the close of this letter, he he tells them in the verse we didn't read after. Uh, verse 21 and verse 22, he tells them that he has only written to them briefly and appeals to them, he says, to bear with my word of exhortation in this benediction that he is uh, bringing together. He's summing up, if you will, the, the three strands that he has been weaving throughout the entire letter of the Hebrews. And the first strand that he is bringing together is peace. What was the life situation of the recipients of this letter? They were facing persecution for following Jesus. They were catching hell in the here and the now because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. They're in danger of drifting away from the faith because the the persecution that they are receiving for following Jesus Christ. And they want a release from the pressure. Following Jesus is costing more than they had anticipated. And the question that they are asking is, is it worth it? Isn't there an easier way to be right with God? We don't want to forget about God. We just want less suffering. Maybe folk will, maybe folk will like us more and and stop treating us so badly if we make some slight modifications to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Then folks will be okay with this gospel we're trying to preach and to live. And for them, the practical outworking of this temptation was they were trying to return to the sacrificial and ceremonial forms of worship in the temple from the Old Covenant. Uh, 
And in this letter, over and over again, their pastor has to remind them that those things were just a shadow. Those things were just a shadow that pointed forward to the good things that were to come in Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus Christ has come, he's like, why do you want to go back to types and to shadows? He tells them in chapter 10 and verse 36, you all have need of endurance. And then in chapter 12 and verse 14, he lets them know, here's the one aspect to what this endurance looks like. He says to them there, pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And now when he gets to the final good word, he's going to give them the first thing he says to them is that their God is a God of peace. Their God is the God of peace. They're experiencing difficulty and hardship and they're trying to find relief in their own way. And their pastor is reminding them, here's what's true. Your God is the God of peace. You actually, he's reminding me, you actually had a bigger problem, a, a much more crucial and critical problem than the ones you're facing now. Your problem is that you and God used to be enemies. You weren't at peace with him. You had strife with God because of your sin. But God took care of that in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, he's made peace with those who were his enemies. And now through faith in Jesus Christ, you know God as the God of peace. And because you have peace with God, you can now pursue peace with others. You see, in Jesus Christ, the the peace that we are brought into with God, that peace will never change. If you have come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been brought into peace with God, and there's nothing you can do to change it. It will never, ever, ever change. He will always and forever be for you the God of peace. You are signed and sealed and delivered into peace forever. It doesn't matter what hell is breaking loose in your life and in your world. What is disrupting your sense of peace? What is disrupting this sense of of knowing that you and the Lord are at at peace with one another, that he's done for you what what you could never do for yourself, and it is something that is guaranteed now and forevermore? Listen, uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes, in his commentary, so powerfully writes on this, Verse, he says, the peace here of which God is the author is primarily the peace of the gospel, the peace which has been established or, as he says, reestablished between man and his creator by the blood of Christ's cross, the peace of God in Christ Jesus, which passes all understanding peace 
In short, he says, at its deepest and fullest sense, it is the God of this peace which speaks forgiveness and acceptance to man at the very heart of his being and which should permeate the whole of his existence in all its relationships and vicissitudes whom our author invokes here. See, let me ask you this. What will enable you, what is going to enable you to overcome and to press through the pernicious and polarized climate of our current cultural moment and to pursue peace with everyone? What's going to enable you to do it? The pastor was just praying about it before I got up here. What is going to enable you to press into peace when we live in the midst of a perniciously polarized culture. It is only being secure in the truth that you are at peace with God forever. Therefore, you don't have to succumb to the fear of pursuing peace with others when there are deep disagreements and strife. See, where are you, where are you striving to, to overcome this, this political polarization and, and to pursue peace with those whom you disagree with as a testimony to the truth that your God is a God of peace? Can I tell you something? Matter about it, I know, see, here's a good thing. Nobody told me how much time I have, right? So. So sometimes if I go off the notes, it's just, you know. (laughs) The world should look at the church and marvel. The world should look at the church and say, how did that happen? How did those people come together? Not only how did those people come together, how do they stay together? How are they staying together, loving one another, being with one another, pressing through the messiness of life and relationship together? Okay. You should be able to have every political poll together in the church. Part of the reality of the polarization of our cultural moment is that even churches are polarized along political uh, affiliations. That is a that is a testimony against the reality that the God we have is the God of peace. You see, listen, people specialize in polarization. We specialize in division. We specialize in splitting apart from churches to families to, to, to businesses, everything, to countries. But God specializes in peace. God specializes in peace and, and reconciliation. And listen, this peace is, is, is rock solid because of our second word. This peace is rock solid because it was secured by a promise. The peace that we have brought into, been brought into with God through faith in Jesus Christ wasn't secured by a promise that was made first between God and us, but by a promise that God made to himself. See, you and I, we make promises in this life, don't we, right? And, and, and typically, 
the more the more serious promises, they have to be secured by something of value. In other words, what I mean is, for some promises, your word is not enough. You know, let's try this. Next time you go to the dealer to buy a car, you don't have all the cash on hand to pay for it outright. And and uh, and you just say, listen, uh, Mr. Salesperson, let me shake your hand. I promise I'm going to pay the balance of this car. No, let me just give you a few hundred dollars right now and, and I'll be back uh, every month with the with the money on time, right? That ain't going to do, right? You got a sign on the dotted line. They got to do a background check, check your credit. They got to make sure you can keep the promise that you are making to pay for this vehicle. You got to demonstrate you got a history of, of keeping your financial promises. You got to demonstrate you'll be able to pay that car note. Well, why isn't your word good enough? It's because people break their promises all the time. People lie all the time. I love what the pastor said to them back in chapter 6 of this letter in verses 13 to 18. He said this. He said, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable true things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope which is set before us. Why? Can we hold tightly to the hope that is set before us? Why we can do it? The reality that we have peace with God forever and ever because it is impossible for God to lie. And from chapter 6 of the letter to chapter 10 of the letter, he's going to develop and expand upon the reality that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, that he's the mediator of a new covenant. And now at the end, he brings that thread back together when he says, may the God of peace who brought from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. How was our peace secured? God raised Jesus from the dead. He's not only the God of peace, but he's the God of power. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Did you catch that? Don't miss it. By the blood of the eternal covenant. He spent a lot of time in chapter 8 to chapter 10 talking about Jesus as the mediator of a new and better covenant. The Hebrews, as members of the new covenant community, are not to give in to the temptation to go back under the old covenant rules and regulations that are now obsolete. But here, for the first and only time, he speaks not only not about an old covenant or a new covenant, but of an eternal covenant. Jesus' sacrificial death 
His death on the cross of Calvary, the blood that was spilled was the blood of an eternal covenant. Back in Hebrews chapter 9, the pastor says that when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he entered once and for all into, into the heavenly holy places. And he said when he went in, he didn't go in with the blood of bulls and, and goats and calves, but he went in with his own blood. The pastor says thus securing an eternal redemption, an eternal redemption for us. And when he did it, it was the fulfillment of an eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son. This is how the pastor could say in chapter 12 of the letter that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus knew that the cross wasn't the end. How did he know? Because he had an eternal agreement with his Father. And what was that agreement? That there was a world full of sin-sick people who are full of rebellion and disdain for God, who have no hope of giving, getting right and living right. And so the Son covenanted with the Father to come to this messed up world to live a life of perfect obedience to His Father, die as the perfect sacrifice for sin, so that everyone who comes to God through faith in Him might be made right with God. This benediction, it ties the bow on the gift of God in Jesus Christ that the pastor had talked about way back in chapter 2 of the letter when he said, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, if you are in Christ, you are signed, sealed, and and delivered because of the covenant that was signed, sealed, and delivered between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past. He didn't just come up with it in the recent days. This was his forever promise. Hebrews chapter 2.18 where I read it said that because Jesus suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. What's the What's the help that we get because God has fulfilled his promise to himself? I mean, just think about that. God fulfilled the promise he made to himself, and we're the beneficiaries of it. What's the help that we get? In other words, what's the purpose, our third P, what's the purpose of the promise? Is what he says in the benediction, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the purpose of the promise and the peace, it is to equip you and I with everything good so that we can do His will, not ours, His will. As He works in us, 
that which is pleasing in his sight. Do you see it? Like outside of Jesus Christ, right? We've got, there's a, there, there's the reality of common grace. Every person from the womb to the tomb is made in the image of God, has immeasurable value and dignity and worth. But we all come, as David says in the, in the 51st Psalm, we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We come out broke. And so we have no power in and of ourselves to do things that bring pleasure and delight to God. We center our lives on ourselves by our sinful nature. And so now he says, This is the last thread. He has been, throughout the letter, he has been encouraging them. Hold on, hold on. You have to endure. Patient endurance is required. You need to endure. And he ties up that bow to say, here's how you know that you can endure. This is what's happened for you. That he has equipped you now in Christ with everything good. Everything good so that you can not do your own will, so that you can do his will, so that you can know his will and do his will. And it's not even you working. It says, as he works in us. As he works in us, right, to to do that which is pleasing in his sight. So that he gets the glory. You and I don't get to take any of the credit. You do anything, you you do something that leads to the glory of God, guess who gets the credit? God does. The purpose of the promise is for our performance, not performance like an act. It's so that we it's so that our lives will be lived by faith striving to do the will of God, submitting our will to his will. Listen, Jesus is the great shepherd. He leads his people and he does so not simply by shouting motivational commands at us. He don't give us Twitter memes. Through the eternal covenant, He has secured for us an eternal redemption uh, and, and the provision that we need to do God's will, which is the Spirit of God. Listen, that word that is translated into our English Bibles as equip, it, it has it has the sense of, of furnishing somebody with something. He's used the verb twice before in the letter. He used it in chapter 10 and verse 5 when he said, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared. Same word, prepared for me. In chapter 11, verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the, the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Both of these draw us into to, to grasp God's creative activity in providing what's necessary. God provided a body for Christ. God provided a universe for us. He 
furnishes us for, for us. He, he, he provides for us every good thing that we may do his will. And that's the third thread in the letter. God's will. In chapter 10, Christ in ushering in the new covenant was doing the will of God. Then later in the chapter when he's exhorting them to, to keep pressing on, he says, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has good, great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. They to, they are to endure in doing God's will. Let me wrap it up this way. Earlier this summer, I taught uh, a leadership and discipleship class for um, Reformed Theological Seminary. And whenever whenever I teach on leadership, I utilize uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is one of the confessional documents of our denomination. And I, and I talk about what it says to us about what duties the Lord requires of us and what sins the Lord forbids us to commit all glean from a robust understanding of the fifth commandment. So let me, all right, I'm just going to back up real, real quick. Right, when we hear the Ten Commandments, there's a, there's a reality there in each of the commandments that, that it's not simply about a negative, thou shalt not. So where a, where a sin is forbidden, the opposite duty is required. It's not about just about what you must not do. It's also about what you must do. And so here's the deal, right? The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. And one of the things that the catechism rightly uh, understands is, is that this is not simply rela- uh, 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 related to our biological parents. It's to all those who are in legitimate authority over us. And, and, and then, and it, they rightly understand that, that, that a duty of leaders towards those that they lead, the catechism says, is to provide all things necessary for soul and body. What are the duties of those in the position of leadership? Uh, The catechism says to provide all things necessary for soul and body. And one of the sins that leaders can commit is to require things that the people that they lead do not have the power or the ability to perform. We see this in human relationships all the time. I can, as a father, provoke my children to anger. I can exacerbate them by requiring them to do things that I haven't furnished them with what they need for to do the thing I asked them to do. So therefore, they don't have the ability to do what I've required. And the amazing thing with God is that he doesn't bring us to himself making peace with us through the blood uh, of Jesus' cross, and then go say to us, now go and live a life of obedience to me. He furnishes us with everything good. He equips us with everything that we need to do his will, that we, that he might work in us that which is pleasing to him. To Jesus be glory forever and ever and ever because our great shepherd is both our authority and our leader and the supplier of the power that we need to do everything in accordance with his will. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good gift of our Savior and our salvation. Thank you that 
You have made peace with us by the blood of Jesus' cross. Thank you that you fulfilled the promise you made to yourself and that you have furnished us with everything good that we may do your will. Lord, would you be pleased to take this message, to take this word and root it deeply within our souls that that when we go out from this place and we go into our Monday through Saturday lives, that we do not forget the good gift that we have to do your will, that we would lean into it for the glory and praise of your name. Amen. Amen and amen.